Dallas Cowboys won a game. Imagine my surprise last week when I get home and I turn on the TV and there is a team playing well. And I said, who are these people? Because with the Cowboys this year, I've been kind of like the people, you know, that drive down the highway and when you see a wreck, the people that can't help themselves but look at the wreck, even though you know you shouldn't because you know there's stuff going to be happening there you shouldn't see, you still find yourself looking at it. Every week, that's how I've been with the Cowboys. I knew they were going to be beaten, but I would still have to turn it on to see um, who the stupid people were. See, I can't stand stupid playing football. By that, I mean stupid men making stupid mistakes over and over again and never being held accountable for their stupidity. I can't stand that, but I would still have to turn it on because I wanted to see which week who would step up and be the stupid player of the week. And week after week, multiple men were vying for that honor. Stupid player of the week. I could have voted on several. I wish they'd have had that, man. We should have texted that in. Stupid play of the week. So when they won, I was like, wow. Are these the same dudes? They had the same names on the back. They had the same star on the helmet. But for one week, what changed? They played inspired football for one week. And I'm one of those realists. You got to give me more than one week. I do not jump on the bandwagon if you play well for one week. I, I don't do that. Two and seven? Come on. But for one week, what happened? I think more than the firing thing, I think that for one week... A group of men got committed to a cause and played inspired football. Everybody's like, wow, can, can a ch coaching change make that much difference? Yes and no. I think some men said, we're going to be committed. So that begs the question, were they faking it the rest of the year? Yes. My opinion, my humble opinion. Nobody's questioning their commitment for one week, but... Like everybody in the media, they're saying, let's see what they can do over the course of the rest of the season. And only time will tell whether they're really committed or not. Now, we're in this series called Counterfeit, and we're looking at some things that are fake in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Some things that the church has kind of been accused of um, through the years. And, and what we want to know is what's real and what's fake in this whole Christian thing. In the first week, we looked at counterfeit salvation. Jesus said there are a whole lot of counterfeit roads that lead to hell. And he said most people are on those counterfeit roads. And then Jesus, the same founder of Christianity, said there is one road, one legitimate road that leads to eternal life with God, and very few people are on that road. So that was week one. That was a couple of weeks ago, November 7th. Last week, James talked to us about counterfeit community. And he talked to us about this list of things that, that churches do hypocrisy, things like that, that actually put a stumbling block in the path of people who are real seekers, who want to know about this Christianity thing. And that as long as we are fake in this community deal, that we're going to actually be blocking people from eternal salvation in heaven. This week, we're going to look at counterfeit commitment. That sounds fun, doesn't it? No? Well, let's do this as painlessly as possible. On your listening guide, you'll see a uh, series of concentric circles. And we're going to talk about commitment in this series 
uh, in the series of circles that you have in front of you. And what I want you to do is you're going to draw a line from each one of those circles of the bands as we go in. So the very first level of commitment that we're going to talk about today, the out, outer band, draw a line out there and write down level one is curious. This is the person who isn't sure about the whole God thing, but they want to check it out. This includes people who um, uh, they've been invited to New Life and they've heard that New Life isn't a normal church and they want to come and give it a try. This group is made up of people who have never gone to church or maybe people who've been out of church for many years. If and when you decide to go to church, you're the folks that are just checking out this Christianity thing. So if you like to live in a house or an apartment, you're cracking the door just a little bit, but you still have that little chain on there, you know, so you stick your face out and you're like, I'm going to give you just a little peek, but if I don't like what you have to say, I'm slamming the door in your face. That's you. That's the curious. Now, um, (laughs) you're also the ones that when you walk in the church, first thing you do, this happens every week, first timers come in the door, right back there, they'll come in the door and the walls are here, and they'll immediately slide down the walls. It's kind of like, you know, we're not sure about these people, so we don't want them behind us. You can tell. Watch out there. And I'm not trying to make fun of you at all, because I totally understand. You know, you people in the curious area, not only do you hug the walls out there, but when you come in here, you immediately look at all the exits. And you sit very near them in case things get weird, so that you can slide out. And, and let me just say that, that you are welcome here. Curious people are welcome here. It's why we started the church, was to reach curious people. But there's another level. Next level in, draw your line, is the crowd. Now, if you're in the crowd level of commitment, you've decided that that you like new life, and you keep coming. Here you discover that maybe contrary to what you've believed and heard, that not only is this place kind of fun, but the Bible is relevant to your life right now. You, you hear great music, you hear practical teaching on things that matter, things like parenting and relationships and marriage and money and uh, money management, as well as the usual heaven and hell messages. You hear about this whole plethora of things and you go, wow, maybe God is interested in every area of my life. And after spending some time at this level, you might even cross the line of faith and become a member of God's family. And see, we always are encouraging people to just give the things of God a try. In fact, you don't even have to be a Christ follower to try the things that are in the Bible. We know that if you begin doing the principles in the Bible, eventually you're going to say, this God thing works. God works. And I want to give my life to Him. We fully believe that if you just try it out, you're going to find out that not only is is Christianity the only way to die if it's the only way to heaven, but Christianity is also the best way to live. That's at that level. Level three. Is the congregation. Here at this level, not only are you a Christ follower, but you've also decided to be a regular attender at New Life. You may not be a church member yet, but if you were asked, you would call New Life your church home. And this is often the level where you start giving back. You begin to take ownership of the church. What I mean by ownership is you stop being a consumer where you just take and you start giving back. And this could be giving, you know, uh, in the children's area, serving back there. It could be serving in the kitchen. It could be serving in the greeting uh, ministry. Any of the areas where we serve and you begin to do some of that. And you might even give some money to God's kingdom through new life. Now, let's review real quickly these three. Level one would be like getting some free tickets to a football game. And you decide to go to that football game simply to see if you are interested in football. 
You don't care about the teams. You're just checking out football to see if it's something that you want to spend your time doing. Level two, you decide that, hey, football's pretty cool. I might even spend some of my own money on football tickets. Shoot, I might even get a season ticket to check out this, this football because I think football's pretty cool. Football is cool to me. Now, level three would be where you move out of the stands, the bleachers, and you get on the sidelines and you say, I've got to get closer to the action. I want to support the team with my life. You're not on the field yet, but you're supporting the team and you're getting closer to the action. Level three people are personally invested in the local church. So for our purposes, personally invested in new life. All right, now let's move to level four. This is the very inside. This is called the core. When you reach this level, you are no longer on the sidelines. You are a player. These folks have said, I'm all in. I'm going to be a fully devoted follower of Christ come hell or high water. I'm going to be devoted to not only Christ, but to his local church, which is called the Bride of Christ. I'm not going to casually date the Bride of Christ. I'm all in and I am committed to the Bride of Christ. Now, what we're going to do the rest of this time is we're going to talk about the core. There are six characteristics of the core, and this is a serious relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is the least common denominator if you want to be called a member of the core group. So, characteristic number one is committed to New Life Community Church. These are church members. If you've ever taken our uh, 101 class, by the way, the next 101 class, Discovering Church Membership, is coming up December 12th. That's the second Sunday in December. So sign up sheet back in the back. You put your name down there. The very first thing we do is we read a verse on page one of your uh, student syllabus. And then we talk about the goal. The very, the very last sentence on page one is the goal of our 101 class is that you'll commit yourself to Jesus Christ and you'll commit yourself to New Life Community Church. Because by definition, you cannot be a member of this church if you're not a member of God's family. So we spend a lot of time talking about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and being in His family. And you technically can't even join our church unless you're a member of God's family first. So we spend some time on that in our New Life, uh, in our 101 class. And, and then we ask you, somebody's flicking their pen. Sorry, that just gets on my nerves. And I, and I tell you early on so that I don't just check out. Be glad I'm not taking hydrocodone after my knee surgery. Hydrocodone hypes me up. The day after surgery, I cleaned the kitchen. I washed dishes. I cleaned the bathroom. Janie's like, give him more. <laughs> Sitting in my chair, you know, propping up my knee, and, and I'm just sweating like crazy. So be glad I'm not on... Janie called the doctor and says, we can't live like this. You must give us better drugs. So uh, I'm no longer on hydrocodone. But anyway, so just the clicking thing distracts me. It's nothing personal. Now, um, all right, where are we? Okay. Now, at the end of 101, we ask you to sign a commitment card. And the, the card says, I have given my life to Christ. I am a member of God's family. I've been baptized. And I commit to new life. There's a series of things we go through. And we, we tell you what you're committing to. And we ask you to sign on the dotted line. Why do we do that? Because you become what you are committed to. If you're committed to drugs, you become a drug addict. If you're committed to work, you become a workaholic. If you're committed to collecting toys, you spend all of your life buying the biggest, baddest toys you can so that you can play with them. 
And so that everybody can think you're cool. And if you're committed to Christ, then you're going to commit your life to His bride. You don't casually date the bride of Christ if you are part of the core. Now, this is the church, is the bride. And so look at what Ephesians 2.19 says. You are no longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and you belong. Underline this on your listening guide. Underline those two words. You belong in God's household with every other Christian. You belong. There are two words that can describe the Christian life. Believing, believe, and belong. You believe that Jesus Christ is God's son, that he died on the cross, that he raised from the dead, and that you cannot get to heaven without his forgiveness of your sins. You believe. But the second thing in the Christian life, God never just gets you into the, the kingdom of God and leaves you alone. You belong to a local church. Believe and belong. And so you understand this idea of citizenship that it talks about here in Ephesians 2.19. Now, those of us who went to Haiti understand the idea of citizenship um, because of the things that we experience. I want you to hear just a few things from, from the folks, some of the folks who went to Haiti, and then we'll continue this talk. I first felt God calling me when my dad mentioned it at church, but it didn't really set in until a couple weeks after that he was wanting me to go. I knew, or I felt called, really, to, to go on this trip when Doug said something. I was excited to go. I've never been uh, overseas on a, on a trip and, or out of the country on a mission trip, and so uh, I was really excited to go. I felt God calling me to go to Haiti the day that... Doug was up on stage and he was talking about taking up an offering for Haiti and he said, this may be crazy, but I feel like we need to go to Haiti. It's like the second he said that, I just had this overwhelming feeling all over my body that was telling me, you're supposed to go to Haiti. It was from that moment I knew I would be in Haiti. And that's the moment that he said that is the moment that I knew that I was going to go to Haiti. Um, from the second Doug announced it, honestly, it was just that feeling that I got that I needed to go, and that's where I needed to be, and that's what I needed to do. He confirmed that I was supposed to go to begin with when we had the deposit due. It was the night before the deposit was due, and I was sitting at home, and it was like 8, 30, 9 o'clock that night, and I was kind of upset because I didn't have the deposit, and I wasn't going to have the money in on time, and... I got a text message out of nowhere from one of my friends and fellow church families um, that said that I was going to Haiti because they were paying my deposit. So that kind of confirmed to begin with, and there were little things along those lines that kind of confirmed it as the trip got closer. We were working on the uh, Be the Church Day at Eula's house, and John or Mr. Hope approached me and asked me, why wasn't I going to Haiti with everybody and I was, I was like well it's kind of a long story I'd love to go and I feel like I could do some good there this and another but the main reason was work and finances more than anything and he just outright asked me if, well if I would pay for you to go would you go and I said are you serious he said yeah I'm serious do you think Doug could make it happen well, I don't know all we can do is try will you go and I said yes 
At the time, I felt God calling me right in and there to go. So, next thing you know, I'm on a plane here today. I'm Chad Arnold. I'm James Bray. I'm Shandy Cameron. I'm Caleb Washburn, and I went to Haiti in October 2010. Those of us who went to Haiti... Um, when you fly in, they told us that when you get there, it's going to be crazy. And crazy doesn't begin to describe the scene at the airport. You get off of your plane and you get on a bus and they take you to this terminal and then they literally take you to a barn. Customs is in a barn. And uh, one of the things that they told us on the flight was we had to fill out this form saying why we were going to be in the country. And it's this form. Uh, if you're a visitor, you have this special form. If you're a, a citizen, you have a different form. And so you fill out the top and the bottom, and there's a perforated edge, and you're thinking, why do I have to fill out the bottom? But anyway, you get there, you give them your passport, and you give them your declaration form, why you're going to be in the country, how long you're going to be in the country. They rip off the bottom half. They stuff that in your passport. They stamp your passport that you are a legitimate visitor from the United States, and then they put that little bottom half in there. Why do you think they put the bottom half in there? Because when you leave the country, you have to give that back so that they'll know you're getting out of their country when you said that you would. When we came back to the United States, we filled out a different form because we're citizens of this country. And we walked forever. By the way, um, American people are punks. Just, just want you to know that. They were running over some of our people in our group as we're, they were trying to get through customs. And it's, like, it's not like you're going anywhere fast when you go through customs. And then the funny thing is you come around the corner and there's 8 million lines for visitors coming to the United States and all of them have about 12 million people in them. And then you get to keep walking, if you're a citizen, over to the citizen lines. And they're much shorter. And, and you give them your passport and they say, everything go, cool, yes, stamp, and you're in. You're a citizen because you live here. Well, people who are citizens of the kingdom of God understand some different things than people who aren't citizens. Citizenship in God's kingdom is not optional in the Bible. And if for no other reason, the fact that it's not optional in the Bible, it is not optional for a core person. They say, I'm giving my life to Christ, but I'm not going to pull this trash about I can worship God anywhere. Yes, you can, but you don't very often. I can worship God out there fishing. Yeah, you do, but you're probably thinking about fishing. I am. When I go fish, when I go hunting, I'm thinking about hunting. Now, there may be some kind, times I look around and go, wow, God, you made a good, good country here. Thank you, God, for this country. But then when a deer comes out or if a fish hits my, my lure, then I'm thinking about that. I'm no longer worshiping God, so don't give me that trash about you worship out there on the lake. If you hate the bride of Christ, you have a problem with Christ. So don't tell me this citizenship thing that you're going to avoid God's bride. That's a bunch of bull. That's the Greek term. Now, look at Second uh, Corinthians. Oh, wait. Jumping ahead of myself. So, citizenship in God's country. So, if you're interested in becoming a member of this church, sign up for December 12th. Second characteristic of the core. You're committed to spiritual growth. Committed to spiritual growth. Colossians 1.10 says, You will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Core people have said, it's not enough to be a member of the family. i got to become more like my dad. And so they're going to do everything they can to become like Christ. Did you know a mark of maturity is when you can feed yourself? 
A mark of immaturity is when you expect other people to feed you. The worst thing about the kingdom of God is there's so many Christians who do not know how to feed themselves spiritually and they demand that the preacher do it and that the preacher show up every time they have a little runny nose and pray for them. Guess what? We don't do that. We'll pray for you from a distance. God's got just as much power. Now, I'm not talking about serious stuff, but I'm talking about things. We're not going to be at your house every time you need something because at some point you need to grow up spiritually. You need to get involved in in small groups so that you'll have a close core group of people that you can do life with. Thank you. Um, And let me show you how you can tell if someone... Because this says you'll grow to be more like Christ. You'll look more like Christ. Let me show you from the scripture how you can tell if someone is committed to spiritual growth. It's in 2 Corinthians 3.18. So our faces are not covered. They show the bright glory of the Lord as the Lord's spirit makes us more and more like our glorious Lord. Now there's a whole lot of meaning behind this, but here's the basics. The, the veiled face is talking about Moses in the Old Testament. Big Mo was the leader of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. They went to Mount Sinai, and when Moses would go up, he was the only person that could see God face to face. When he would come down off the mountain, he would be radiating with the glory of God, and it would freak some people out. Or when he would go into the Holy of Holies when they had the tabernacle, when he would come out, his face would be real shiny. And people were like, dude, there's something messed up about that guy. So he would cover his face with a veil so that it wouldn't freak the people out. But also, the longer he went without spending time with God, the more the the shining faded. So he didn't want to freak people out when he was real shiny, but he also didn't want people to know that the shininess was fading because he hadn't been with God in a long time. So this scripture is talking about not the old covenant where Moses had to veil his face. This is talking about the new covenant, which is in the New Testament. Here's the cool thing about the New Testament is you and I are called priests. If you're in God's family, you are a priest. You don't have to go through ceremonial washings. You don't have to climb to the top of Mount Sinai to be in God's presence. You have the right to go into God's presence. You are just as valuable in the kingdom of God as I am. And you can stand before your king and you can radiate his glory without veils or anything like that. You don't even have to ceremonially ceremonially cleanse yourself like they did in the Old Testament before you go see God. You can worship God anywhere, anytime you choose. Problem is most of us don't choose to. Yes. Now, Colossians 1.10 says you'll grow to be more like Christ as you spend time with Him. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says you'll glow as you spend more time with God. So it becomes real easy to tell the people who've been with God and the people who haven't been with God. Not only is it in their actions, it's in their faces. It's in their words. It's in the way they handle problems even. As you spend time with God, you begin to look like Him. You bear the family resemblance. And you begin to radiate the glory of God. Because you become like who you hang out with. If you hang out with God, you will begin to look like Him. Third characteristic of the core. They're committed to worship. John 4, 24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. whole lot of meaning here. He's talking to the uh, Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, and she's saying, well, you Jews say that you can worship God in Jerusalem at your temple, but the Samaritans worship here. And Jesus goes, let's just cut through all of that, and let me just tell you, God is looking for true worshipers, and true worshipers worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, the simplified, oversimplified explanation of that is, spirit means your feelings. Truth means your mind. 
Now, in the Baptist church, we've gone way over here to get away. We're scared of feelings. We're actually scared of the Holy Spirit. If he shows up and tells us to do something, we will run away from him because we're scared of the spirit and feelings. So we go over here to, it's just, just facts and, you know, just the facts and it's dry and it's dull. You imagine if you were in a dating or a marriage relationship where all you ever do is talk about facts. It is dull and nobody likes it. But then there are some other denominations that have gone to the other side and it's all about feelings. Forget facts. Even forget sometimes what the scripture says. If I just feel like worshiping Jesus, woo! So at our church, we try to do both. We try to be in the middle. Because Jesus said you got to use your mind and your feelings. Man, if you never get caught up in worship, right back there, I stand back there by Ashley when we were singing uh, I'm Forgiven. And just mention it, I'm getting chill bumps. Because I was thinking, I just had to close my eyes. I quit, I quit singing and I just imagined the cross. And I just got caught up in worship and I felt it. I don't always feel it. Sometimes I worship just because I know it's the right thing to do and I don't feel like it. And I might worship until I feel it. But do you understand? We do both here. We're middle of the road. We want you to worship with your mind, but we also want you to worship emotionally. That's why we do good music. Anyway, we'll, we'll get off that. <clears throat> Core people do both. Core p- people have uh, pledged themselves to continually gathering for worship. Hebrews 10.25 says, Some people have gotten out of the habit of meeting for worship, but we must not do that. Worship is not optional. Gathering together with other believers is not optional according to the Scripture. We should keep on encouraging each other, especially since you know that the day of the Lord's coming is getting closer. Is God's Jesus returning, is that sooner today than it was yesterday? Hello? Yes. So... As it gets closer and closer, we're supposed to encourage each other more and more. We're closer today than we were a week ago. We'll be closer tomorrow than we are today. Gathering with other believers is not optional if you want to be in the core of those who are following Christ. And see, there's two types of worship. There's public worship, which is what we're doing here. There's private worship, which is what you're supposed to do every day at home. And quite honestly, the reason a lot of people don't get anything out of church is because that's the only time they ever spend any time thinking about God. If you will prepare your heart before you walk in those doors, your experience with Jesus Christ will be much richer, much fuller, and you'll look a whole lot more like Him. And you'll act a whole lot more like Him. And people will notice the glow in you. There's no way you can come here one hour out of 168 hours in the week And then think about hell and everything else in the world and look like Jesus. That math doesn't work. And I'm not talking about spending hours and hours. I'm talking about consistent time every day, 10, 15 minutes, where you pause and you say, God, it's all about you. Everything I have is about you. So open my eyes today and let me see you in every person I meet. Try that for a week and see if people don't notice a difference in you. And the difference is because God is taking control of your life. Number four, people at the core are committed to other believers. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. When you work out, are you more likely to work out? And are you more likely to work out harder when you have a partner or when you're by yourself? John's a physical therapist. Karen's a physical therapist. 
Do people work out better when you're present with them or when you're not present with them? It's when you're present, right? They're going to work a lot harder. Y'all watch The Biggest Loser? When Bob and Jillian are in the room, do they work out harder? When Bob and Jillian are at the table, do they eat smarter? Yes. The Bible, this is a biblical principle. Where two people are, you can help each other succeed. And then it goes on and says, where three are gathered. That's a, that's a strong bond. That's a cord that's not easily broken where there's three of you. So people in the core, they understand that true life only happens in the context of relationships. So core people come to public worship. Core people, they worship privately, but they also get together with a small group and then sometimes even a smaller group. There are groups of men and women that are meeting for what we call accountability on a regular basis because they get with somebody who will challenge them spiritually, someone who won't ask them easy questions or accept easy answers. And some of you are going to go, wow, man, I don't want that. Then you don't want to be core. Then you don't really, you're not really serious about getting close to Jesus because we can deceive ourselves. And men need some men looking them in the eye, asking them tough questions. Women need women looking them in the eye, praying for them about the men in their lives that are driving them crazy. I mean, wait, that's another sermon. Um, Women need women who understand them and will pray for them and challenge them. That's what it means to be in the core. Number five, core people are committed to serving. Core people view new life not as just a place they go to worship, They view new life as a place to make a difference with their lives. They're asking God to show them their spiritual gifts. They're examining their past to get healing from their hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups. They're looking at their experiences and they're saying, God, what in my life have you brought me through that someone else might be able to learn from? They're looking at the areas where they're passionate and they're serving as best they can. We got back from Haiti on the 29th of October, uh, November 2nd or 3rd. I got a phone call from a guy in Florida who's thinking of going to Haiti. And we talked for about 20 minutes and he said, man, I just need to know some things. He said, I've got to go to my board tonight and they're going to ask me some questions. They want to know about the cholera epidemic. They want to know about security. They want to know about this praying pelican group. The reason he called me was because I had been where he wanted to be. And I had a different perspective than he had because he'd never been there. I said, dude, let me lay this out for you. Cholera is not a problem because we had bottled water from Culligan everywhere we went. We drank only bottled water. We ate only food prepared by people that we knew were using sanitary conditions. As far as security, man, we stayed in a church where there were security guards 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But let me tell you, we never once saw any problems. When you're in the middle of God's will, you got a big God who can take care of you. Even when the storm came and we're sitting in the rising waters and I'm going, wow, and watching the water rise and go over Chad's foot because he was sitting on the back of the tap-tap. By the way, a tap-tap is just a modified pickup. that you, It's like a taxi. You can get about eight Americans in it and 24 Haitians. Um, I, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding at all. But Chad, was sit- Chad and Jared were sitting on the back and we're stuck in traffic and the water's rising and I'm watching Chad's foot and I'm watching the water get closer and closer and closer to his foot and finally it comes over his foot and in my mind, no panic. I wasn't showing any. I said, Jesus, it's time for us to move because we're stuck in traffic in a low spot and the water's rising. About that time, our guy drives in the wrong lane of traffic. Big truck, big truck. All I could see was headlights. You know, but we were out of the low spot 
And we were stuck. And he's honking and we're honking and everybody's honking. But we're out of the low spot. And man, in Haiti, when you get out of line, they don't let you back in line. I don't know how we got back in, but, but Jesus was watching out for us. Even in the midst of that. Because about the time we moved, I looked at the car behind us. They moved and the water washed over the hood of the car. When you're in the middle of God's will, it's His problem to protect you. When you're outside of God's will, you're on your own. Committed to serving is, I'm going to do whatever God calls me to do to help build the kingdom of God. And then the last one, committed to generous giving. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord by giving Him the first part. Underline those two words, first part of all your income, and He will fill your barns with wheat and barley and overflow your wine vats with the finest wines. Now, all this means is God's going to meet your needs if you demonstrate that you trust Him in this area. Core people have moved from tippers to tithers. Now, let me say this. If you're at the curious level and you walk by the the basket out there and you chunk in $20 every now and then, dude, that is serious commitment for you and we applaud you because we always tell you we don't want any of your money. So if you're at the curious level, giving a little bit here and now, that's awesome commitment. We say, yay, good job. And in fact, you know, people at the curious level, if we ever have to make a choice between you and somebody who's already in the kingdom of God, we choose you. We make our decisions based on the people who are not even in the kingdom of God because we say it's, it's unacceptable to know about heaven and not tell everybody we can find. So we do things differently here. We choose our actions based on people who are not in the kingdom of God. Whiners do not run our church. In fact, if you whine, you'll never be put in a leadership position. Ever. Because when you whine, it's all about you. We want people who will seek God and submit to God. Not to me. And we want people who say, God, where are you? I'm serious about you. I want to serve you. That's who we're looking for and who we'll spend our lives with. Now, um, all I'm saying at this point is there's no such thing as a tipper at the core. Tithers are at the core. Tithe, 10% is actually the baseline. The Bible says God loves a generous giver. And so if you're, if you're just at the 10% level, you're, you're probably not where God wants you to be eventually. Now, you start somewhere. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying these are the, the, the base level commitments of someone who is at the core. Now, the question is, which level is the real thing? And my answer may surprise you. Because it depends on who you are and where you are. If you're part of the curious, then coming here represents major commitment for you. You are investigating the things of Christianity and a lot of people don't ever do that and we will cheer for you and we will keep opening the doors for you. And if you're curious and you're not sure that this God thing's even real, then levels 2, 3, and 4 are not even realistic options for you. That would not be authentic for you yet. Now let's say that you're a person who's already made a decision to follow Christ and you come in at level 2 or maybe 3. You like the music, you like the dress code, and the preaching's not as bad as what you thought it was going to be. You settle in at the same level and you get comfortable and you're not even worried about changing levels. In fact, you don't want change. You don't like change. 
then you're a faker. Because the kingdom of God is not about maintaining the status quo. There's nothing more counterfeit than someone playing the Christian life. And you're a poser. And you need to make some decisions today about whether you're going to be real or not. Because the Christian life is all about movement. It's not so much where you are as where God wants you to go. God loves you right where you are, but He loves you too much to leave you where you are. So don't put this next one up yet, Ashley. There was something I meant to put on your list, and God, I didn't get it. I want you to write this down. I just completely forgot to put it on there. Write this down. Whatever level you are at, or what, say whatever level I'm at, right? Right, I. Whatever level I'm at is a great place to start. You can go ahead and put it up now, Ashley. But a horrible place to stop. If you don't get anything else out of this message, get that. Wherever you are is a great place to start. But it's a hideous place to stop. I remember way back in eighth grade, we had to do Texas history. And um, y'all remember that? If you grew up in Texas, you had to do Texas history. And one of my favorite stories was the Alamo. I remember the first time we went to the Alamo was a couple years after that. And I remember walking around. I was so disappointed that the Alamo was in the middle of San Antonio. Because I just couldn't envision what was going on. I read and I asked questions. And then one time uh, we went to my uncle's house, which is out near Uvalde, which is near John Hope's place. Um, those of you who, who know John. We were going from, from Uvalde to uh, Mexico. And out in the middle of nowhere was the set where they had filmed the movie, The Alamo. And they left it after the war scene. And so it's just torn up and it's in the boondocks. And we went out there and climbed up the walls and I got a very clear picture of what it must have been like to be... Because historians dispute all this because everybody died who was in there. So we're not sure exactly how many were in there. Somewhere between 150 and 188, somewhere in there. And um, everyone who stayed there died there. So we don't know exactly what all happened inside. There is a legend that Colonel William Travis, that right before the last battle... There are thousands. By this time, there's somewhere between three and 4,000 Mexican troops surrounding the Alamo. And there's maybe 187, 188 people in there defending. So legend, we don't know about this because a lot of people argue, I don't care whether it's true or not. It's a good story. Legend says that Colonel William Travis took out his sword and drew a line in the dirt. Let me read you just a little bit of this legend. Maybe, maybe not. So he gathered his fellow defenders that Saturday afternoon and gave them a speech. We must die, he began. Our business is not to make a fruitless effort to save our lives, but to choose the manner of death. He saw three possibilities, surrender and summary execution, trying to fight their way out to only to be butchered by the Mexican army, or remain in this fort, resist every assault, and sell our lives as dearly as possible. Then with a flourish, he takes out his sword and draws a line in the dirt. He said, I now want every man who is determined to stay here and die with me to come across the line. One by one, men stepped across the line. Sam Bowie was too sick, and so he begged a couple of men to carry him across the line. And they gave their lives for the freedom of Texas. They were the Texians. And their sacrifice gave 
the Texas Army enough time to gather and eventually win our independence. Well, here's the thing. Today, God has drawn a line in the dirt. Whether this story is true or not, this one is. God's drawn a line in the dirt. And he says, if you're serious, you'll move from where you are to the next level. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Today could be the most significant day in your life based on the choices you make in the next two minutes. If you're at the curious level and you're ready to make a more serious commitment to Christ, maybe you've not even given your life to Him, here's how you become a member of God's family. You say, God, I know I'm a sinner. You can pray this right now where you're sitting. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to be the leader of my life from now on. If you say that and mean that from your heart, the Bible says that God adopts you into His family. Real simple, in, in 1 John 5, 11 through 13, it says, if you have the Son of God, you have life. If you do not have the Son of God, you do not have life. He said, I've written these things to you, believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So it's very simply a decision saying, I can't get in on my merits, I'm coming in on God's merits. Now, if you're already a follower of Christ, and you've been wandering, or you've not been committed, wherever you are, Tell God that you're ready to take a step. Father, significant, life-changing events are happening right now. And I pray that these people would never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen.